Hey everyone, welcome to the show. My name is Kim Labick and I'm your host here on Flip the Script, a podcast where we discuss all the stories that became a film but started as something a little different. Hello. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. Uh, <laughs> no name. Nothing. My name is Joey Bapper, and I am Kim's semi-friend from college. Yeah. I think we've, <laughs> we've heard of each other. I've seen you once in real life. Yeah. And... I just got this, like, random Facebook message. I had to approve it. We're not even friends on Facebook. That said, oh hey, you wanna, do you want to do this podcast for that movie you won't shut the fuck up about? <laughs> Okay, so today we're talking about Silver Linings Playbook, which my co-host here, Joey, is a big fan of, both Love the book it. and the movie. Love it. <laughs> and I remember we came up with this topic um, hanging out one time a few months ago, talking about stuff, because I, the first time I saw Silver Linings Playbook, I didn't like it, but I didn't finish it also, to be fair. I, yeah, I didn't like hate it or anything. I was just like, eh, not my kind of thing, whatever. I can see that it's a good movie. Moving on. Um, I'm steaming right now. <laughs> yeah, you're just gonna leave. <laughs> so I, you know, came back to this with an open mind, reread the book, you loaned it to me, thank you very much. Rewatched the movie just this morning. Spoiler alert, I loved them, both of them. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah, and we're gonna kind of talk about the similarities and differences and just everything with the story. This movie in particular has, it's pretty different from the book. It's a very loose adaptation. Mm-hmm. For sure. So uh, real quick, though, before we get into it, I don't know if I told you this or not, but I like to start the episodes out with a favorite quote or a favorite moment, okay. which I know if I'm putting you on the spot here, and I probably didn't tell you because I'm still figuring all this out. Too much pressure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here, I'll start off first. Um, and then if you think of anything, gotcha. throw it out there. Cool, cool. But I was watching the movie this morning, like I said, and my favorite quote from that is when Pat says, she's a loyal married to a dead guy slut. <laughs> Oh my god. If, Amazing. If we're like in that realm of it, I fucking love when she and Pat are like bickering and he like brings up that her husband is dead for like the umpteenth time and she's like, can we have one goddamn conversation where you don't bring up that my husband's dead? That's a good moment too. Because also he's like, I just have no filter. I'm not gonna stop talking about this. And she's like, I get it. I know he's dead. Can we just move on? But I also just will always like, if I had one minute to live, I would watch the scene in the diner where she's just like, I'm the crazy slut with a dead husband. And it slams everything off the table. Just like, uh, <laughs> like that. People, some people say like Jennifer Lawrence didn't deserve her Oscar or whatever. And I'm like, for that scene alone, she deserves every Oscar. Every Oscar. Oh my God. <laughs> she really is an amazing actress. Mm -hmm. So, and then really quick for a little bit of background for our listeners, if you don't know too much about the whole situation and you're just kind of coming in on this, uh, Silver Linings Playbook, the movie came out in 2010. Wait a minute. No, 2012. Like yeah. Okay. I just wrote it wrong. God, I'm so, <laughs> I don't deserve this podcast. Um, <laughs> it came out in 2012, directed by David O. Russell, starring... Bradley Cooper and J-Law. The book was written by Matthew Quick and came out in 2008. Uh, and currently, as it stands, the only forms of the story are the book and the movie. I don't think we're likely to see a sequel or a remake, but, you know, I say that kind of... <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> yeah. 
But at least it's going to be a minute before we see anything else. Yeah. Really quick, though, talking about the fact that the movie came out a good chunk of years after the book, is that that's probably the reason why um, they use a different rookie name for his jersey. Because the rookie name that they use in the book is... I'm already forgetting it. Um, Hank Basket. Hank Basket. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So his jersey says Hank Basket. That's like a reoccurring theme. They like call him Basket. Yeah. All this. I don't think Hank Basket was like playing for the Eagles anymore by like the time the movie came out. So I think that's probably why they changed it. But I also right, cause, don't know for sure because I football. don't. <laughs> Sport. <laughs> Sports ball. Sports ball. Um, <laughs> football. In the movie, it's this guy, Deshaun Jackson, and they yeah. don't, they also don't really talk about it. It's not as much of a huge theme in the movie as it is in the book, the name of yeah. this rookie and the existence of this rookie. They give him his jersey and then say, fuck it. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Never bring it up again. <laughs> so there's, again, going back, this movie is a very loose adaptation of the book. So there's a lot of differences yeah. to cover. Uh, and I have a lot of things written down here. <laughs> One that I want to start off first is Excelsior. Because <laughs> they have this, in the movie, there's oh, like yeah. this ongoing, his like word, his go-to, you know, positive motivation is to say Excelsior. Because I guess it came from therapy and, you know, it comes in later as being a little bit more important. But they never, there's no Excelsior in the book at no. all. It's more just him emphasizing silver linings mm -hmm. and they kind of they only say that a few times in the film yeah well i think it's probably just because like the book is like pat's narration versus the movie is there's no narration so they they kind of i think that's probably their way of kind of fitting in like pat's like obsession with like silver linings and happy endings is with the excelsior thing because i feel like it'd be a lot <laughs> I guess it would just be either too wordy or just, like, really awkward to constantly just have him be like, Silver Linings, Silver Linings, Silver Linings Playbook. Wink. <laughs> they said the thing! <laughs> they said the title card. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely a very reoccurring theme with anything that starts off as a book and is then adapted into a film. Yeah. You kind of, more often than not, you have to figure out a way around such heavy internal narration. Yeah. Either you... You know, there are movies that take it and they will just literally narrate the film. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't, you know, whatever. But yeah, in this film, it's definitely... Like, he talks out his thoughts a lot more to his parents, which I thought was a really good way of doing it. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're his parents. And we, we know from the book, from the movie, from everything, he has overall a good relationship with them. So it makes sense that he would be talking these things out with them. Yeah. Uh, and it helps us get some of the insight that we do in the book without, yeah. you know, that like outright voiceover narration. Well, I do. Speaking of his parents, I wonder, I want to, I wish I could like have been like a fly in the wall when David O. Russell was like writing this because I wonder if he changed like the story for the dad once Robert De Niro got cast in the film. Just because oh. in the book, like um, Pat's father is, a complete like asshole he's such a dick to his son he's like very absent he doesn't talk to him very much he doesn't really care versus like i don't think he even speaks to pat until like the eagles win their first game versus in the yeah. movie like immediately when he comes home he's like hey welcome home i'm robert de niro come here for a hug i'm gonna get an oscar nomination <laughs> <laughs> for everything he does <laughs> ever every... robert de niro in Drinking water. 
I would watch that. The lighting on that, I can expect, would be really dramatic. <laughs> it's actually the sequel to, um, what was that, like, fish fucking movie? A fish fucking movie? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean the, the, the Oscar-winning yeah. Guillermo del Toro, <laughs> The Shape of Water, a.k.a. The, the fish, fish fucking, fucking movie? It's the, it's the, um, the subtitle. <laughs> or not the subtitle. I love it. I mean, you're not wrong, though. <laughs> But yeah, like they really like just re- redeem the character because like I wrote like throughout the entire book, he's just like I didn't like him like when I first read it back in like 2012, and I really don't like him now. But like in the movie, he's actually like pretty cool guy. Yeah. Well, you know, um, and because of that, they also kind of lose the whole storyline that the book has about the mom giving him kind of an ultimatum. You know, early on in the book, the mom is like, dude, I'm done with this. I'm done with being your mom, basically. Like, you're my husband, whatever. You need to talk to your son about something. Like, you need to clean up after yourself a little bit. She, like, lays down the law in the book. And in the movie, obviously, that never happens because, like you're saying, the character is better. The character is kind of just, like, only somewhat of a deadbeat dad. Yeah. I feel bad for, like, Jackie Weaver, because I feel like they just took away, like, most of the stuff that, like, the mom in the story got to do in the book. Like, they really added a lot to the dad for the movie, but then they really did take away a lot from the mom. And I think she's, like, awesome in the mm-hmm. movie, but, like, looking, like, rewatching it, it is kind of surprising, because this was, like, I think when this movie came out and all of the award nominations happened, like, it was the first film in, I think, a really long time to be nominated in all four acting categories, and um, Jackie oh, Weaver yeah. got nominated for being the mom, but watching it, like, she really doesn't do a ton in the movie. She's great, but she doesn't do much. True. I think her biggest acting moment would be when she's yelling at them to stop fighting. Yeah. I will say, though, like, rereading the book, like, she acts exactly how I imagine, like, the mom in the book to be acting. Because she's, the mom is always, like, on the verge of, like, happy or sad tears at any given moment. And when you watch Jackie Weaver in this movie, she's always just like, like, oh, gosh, guys. Either (laughs) either I'm going to be so happy or I'm going to have a mental breakdown. As a fellow white woman can confirm, we are always on the verge of either a happy cry or a sad cry. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree, though. She was really great at portraying that character. Mm -hmm. She really gave the same vibe that you get from the book. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one big thing that I also want to talk about, um, Danny has so much more character and an existence in the movie than he does in the book. Because Danny in the book is like, I don't even think he's mentioned in the beginning. Or if he is, it's like really brief. They're like, oh, my friend Danny, moving on. Yeah. And then he comes back a little bit more. You know, there's bits in the in the book where he's talking about like, oh, my friend Danny would say this. Or my friend Danny would think <laughs> my that. My black friend Danny. <laughs> Can... Yeah. He always specifies my black friend Danny would say this. But yeah. And in the movie, he has so much more going on. Like he... I really, okay, you know, I, I wanted to not like that he had more of a character in the movie because my heart was like, I wanted to be like the source material, you know, be true to the book. Yeah. But I think it really helped the whole thing that he had more character in the movie because it's fun to see him in the beginning when he's like somewhat breaking out of the hospital, like yeah. in a really chill way. He's like, eh, you know, just take me home. It's whatever. And then part of the way through the drive, they're like, hey, you're not supposed to be here, actually. Just found out you need to go back to the hospital. And he's like, ah, damn it. All right, well, bye. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot that he adds to the film, especially he helps them with the dancing. There's one point where he goes to one of their, like, dance rehearsals. Yeah. And he's like, nah, nah, you got to do it like this, man. Do a little bit of this. Like, try this out. Which also... And Pat's like, all right. (laughs) 
I just also think about that scene because it's been like brought up because I know like everyone makes fun of um, Quentin Tarantino's like fascination with feet. And like, but one thing that I've seen like in reviews for like his work is like David O. Russell will constantly like ogle his like actresses. It's like there will be tons of like boob shots and then like there'll be butt shots too. And like I just think of that like thing where he's just like pow, 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 and the, and the oh, camera yeah. just zooms in on like J Law's butt. To be fair, I I didn't know that about David O. Russell, that being like his thing. Well, I think it's like well the real big thing is like he's just an asshole. <laughs> like apparently he just like screams at his like actors until they give him what they want. Gross. Um, <laughs> but as long when I was watching the film, I felt like it wasn't as male gazy yeah. as I was expecting, which is good. I mean, yeah, there was the moment with like the butt shot, but yeah. other than that, most of like the dancing shots and stuff seemed very real rather than being like, oh, hey, by the way, don't forget Jennifer Lawrence is super attractive, which we know. <laughs> with like the male gaze thing, I will say that. I do think, like, the movie does a lot more to, like, make Pat more, like, masculine or something. Because in the book, I mean, in mm-hmm. the book, he's in his, like, head. He's still, like, a guy's guy. And he'll always be like, oh, like, crying. And then, but then it's like, then he'll just, like, randomly start crying for, like, no reason. Versus, like, in the movie, like, one of my favorite scenes in the book is when um, it's after the dinner scene. Or after they have dinner um, at Ronnie and Veronica's house. And, like, he, Pat walks Tiffany home. And then she's like, well, like, I hate that you wore a fucking jersey to dinner, but you can fuck me if we turn the lights off. And then <laughs> he just, like, doesn't say anything and, like, just stands there for a while. And then she's like, or you don't have to fuck me. And then she starts crying. And then he starts crying versus in the book. Or, I mean, in the movie, like, uh, she does the whole spiel and then she starts crying. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Tears? Yeah. She also, she slaps him in the movie. She didn't slap him in the book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually like the slap, though. <laughs> it worked. It definitely worked. <laughs> Ooh, another thing. There's a cop character in the film. Oh, yeah. His whole character thing is to be like, hey, don't forget, you have a restraining order. Respect that shit. Or I'm a cop and I'm going to yeah. come fuck your life up. I think it was like, I think he's was added just to kind of be like the stakes of the film, like to remind us that Pat could like easily get sent back to... um the uh, hospital since in the book I think it's just kind of like he kind of reminds himself and like his parents especially after like the first altercation with his parents are like we'll send you back and then so I think since the parents and the or the dad in the uh, movie is much less of an asshole they needed to insert a different asshole to be (laughs) that reminder for us that's a really good point I didn't even think about that but you're right it does kind of help keep the stakes present and a good reminder I'm just so smart (laughs) <laughs> oh my god it's almost like you really love this story and have thought about it a lot <laughs> another thing that we need to talk about this film gives away the whole cheating incident within like the first 15 minutes oh yeah whereas the book it was mostly saved for the end like we kind of we understood what was going on he did yeah. mention there was a cheating incident but we never really knew until the end of the book you know that was the whole inciting moment for him being in the hospital and all of that stuff yeah Um, the film gives it away very early on it's like hey this is what happened he knows this happened let's move on which i think worked to the benefit of the film because otherwise it would have been a little bit too you know we might not have gotten enough clues to keep us understanding Mm -hmm. well i also feel like it just would have been like a like it would have made the ending a lot more clumpy like 
even though like there was like some mm-hmm. like the hint dropped that um Tiffany wrote the letters from Nikki, which I'm sure we'll get to like later, but um but I feel like if you had that as well as like revealing the affair that Nikki and the uh, the teacher had also at that point, it might have just been like, well, that doesn't seem to gel really well. And I think also since we didn't really get any narration from Pat and like really get to delve into like how he ended up in the uh, mental institution, I think it really worked to just kind of like have it be like fully revealed. Like when he's, I think like, I don't remember if it's during the fight with his parents or if it's just at the um, doctor's office, but like either way, I think it just like worked to get it out in the open there. So we have an idea of like Pat and what went on and why he was sent to the um, hospital. Absolutely. Because the rest of the film, it's enough to keep you moving forward. Yeah. Kind of thing without needing that as such a big plot twist. Yeah. Which I respect. Um, and while we're talking about it, let's get into the difference of the correspondence with quote unquote Nikki. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that is so, so wildly different in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's start off like in the book, Tiffany writes a letter first. She writes a letter and gives it to Pat and is like, don't open this until you're happy, then burn it. And give me an answer. Yeah. Um, and within that, she's like, hey, help me with this dance thing, and I'll give you a correspondence with Nikki. That didn't happen in the film. In the film, it was more like, he kind of started it. Because they were having that conversation at the diner, and he was like, blah, 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 you know, if only I could talk to Nikki. And then Tiffany brings it up and is like, look, I can do this for you. Yeah. Which I guess is close enough. I guess that is Tiffany bringing it up, really. Because he never says outright, like, hey, could you do this for me? Until she offers. Yeah. But it's, it's so much different. Like, yeah, there's a couple of letters back and forth, but I think there's a lot that we miss within the letters that explains Tiffany in the long run. Yeah. Well, I think it's also just like the ordering. Like, they get, like, in the movie, the dance competition and the letters are kind of happening, like, simultaneously versus, like, in the book, Tiffany's like, okay, well, we have to win the competition. And then after that, then you can, um, then I'll do the letters for you. But I agree, like, there is some stuff, like, are we do miss either, like, clues or just things that really help make us understand Tiffany a little bit more in her, like, motivations. But I, I get why they had to cut, like, the letters down, just because, I mean, in a movie, it's probably not the most, mm-hmm. like, entertaining thing to just watch someone, like, read, like, 15 letters out loud. But... I did like in the book, though, like how she constantly is like trying to like at first subtly like hint to Pat like I've moved on. <laughs> like it's time for you to do the same. Maybe with that nice Tiffany gal <laughs> to like the last letter being like, Pat, we're not getting back together. Leave me alone. This is the last letter. Goodbye. <laughs> and I think in the movie, it's way more obvious that Tiffany wrote the letters while you're watching it, which I think they still do really good about walking the line between are they from Nikki? Are they maybe from Tiffany? But you get more of a hint overall in the movie. Whereas in the book, I feel like it didn't really, at least for me, it didn't really hit until the later letters when, like you're saying, she was more open about, dude, you got to move on. That's when I started getting like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's something that I think a Nikki would say. But also I think this is starting to prove that maybe Tiffany's writing the letters, blah, blah, blah. I honestly, like, I watched the movie before I read the book. Like, I didn't know it was a book until afterwards. Because mm-hmm. I was only 17, I think, when the movie came out. Baby Joey. Baby Joey. Uh, <laughs> but uh, life was so much simpler. But if I had watched, if I think if I had read the book first, I don't think I would have caught on that uh, Tiffany was writing the letters. Like, I don't think I would have until, like, it is revealed. 
-hmm. But I do agree it was like hinted at more in the movie. But I also don't think it was really obvious until like the uh, confrontation scene at the house where uh, after the fight at the football game and Tiffany comes over when Pat doesn't uh, show up for their dance rehearsal because she like says something that was uh, written in one of the letters. Like uh, I forgot what the quote was. Oh, if it's me reading the signs. Yeah. And then that's when, and you also get like Pat's like realization of like, oh, oh. <laughs> so I think like they intentionally like want you to know though that Tiffany wrote the letters so that it get, brings some more stakes for like the uh, last act. And also probably because it helps develop their relationship with each other more yeah. because in the film, you know what, I'm going to pause on this for a second because I do want us to talk about the ending mm-hmm. sort of later. There's, it's very different. Yeah. But yeah, for the, for that purpose. I think it makes sense why the director did it this way instead of in the book. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk more on that later. Really quick, I do want to talk also about the dance competition. Because, oh, yeah. like, in the book, in the book, they're like, there's this dance, com- this dance competition. They get to the dance competition, and everyone's, like, younger than they are. Yeah. Just, like, enough. Not significantly, <laughs> but enough where they're like, oh... Okay, this is interesting. Um, We probably have more of a shot than we think. Whereas in the movie, it's so the opposite. The dance competitors are pros. It's dancing with the stars, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, it's dancing with the stars. (laughs) Well, um... Yeah, and it's like also just interesting of like how the book incorporates the dance competition versus the movie because in the book it's kind of like the middle, like it's the late middle mm-hmm. versus like the movie, it's kind of like the climax. And it makes sense that they changed it because um, in the book, even though Tiffany tells Pat that it is like a competition and they have to get first place, it, she reveals after they finish and do really well. That um, it's just a uh, like exhibit, and no one actually gets a trophy, and no one wins. It's just you perform because I also think it's like called like dance away depression or something, right? Mm-hmm. Versus um, in the movie, it's like an, a straight up just dance competition. There are winners, there are losers, and um, what's funny that I like learned from like a behind the scenes fact is that the script did call for Tiffany to be like a very good dancer and like they did want them to actually be able to do well but then over the course of filming they realized that Jennifer Lawrence could not pick up like the dancing Aww. so um there's a line where like they had to dub in and like this is why like it's shown from behind her head like when she's speaking um I'm an all right dancer not great but it's for fun who cares <laughs> And, like, they had to dub that in because they just, like, she was not that great of a dancer. And you know what? That's fine. Jennifer Lawrence, (laughs) you are talented in so many other ways. It's Mm -hmm. okay. You don't have to be a quadruple threat. (laughs) Quadruple, right? Because, I mean, we're including singing. She sang in... I mean, yeah, she's like a Billboard Hot 100, like, chart topper with that uh, single that they did. (laughs) Yeah, and we'll talk on that when we get to Hunger Games eventually. (laughs) You know, I'll say it now. I thought that was really interesting how... When the Hanging Tree song came out, like, in real life, they did a remix of it. Oh, yeah. And I was like, that is exactly something the Capitol <laughs> would do, is, like, remix that song and make it more poppy. I just remember that Jennifer Lawrence was just so reluctant about the entire thing. She was like, I, I fucking hate singing. Please stop this, guys. Just don't make this a thing. I'm not a singer. This isn't going to be a thing. <laughs> it's okay, girl. We got you. We have the power of editing magic. <laughs> Um, also, with the, the dance competition, they didn't dance to Total Eclipse of the Heart. Oh, yeah. Like they did in the book, mm-hmm. which was a little disappointing, but I thought it was really cool how 
their actual dance sequence was a mashup of very different style songs. I thought that was really good at like representing, you know, their difficult emotional roller coaster. Yeah, that was beautifully put. (laughs) And on the subject of difficult emotional roller coaster, the film outright states that Pat's character likely has undiagnosed bipolar, or at least that that's what they were using in the court case. Yeah. You know, to get him in the hospital rather than just in jail. I don't remember. Do they even like say in the book like what Pat has? Nope, never. I I don't think they did. They just basically say that he pled crazy in the book that's like basically what they say they're like they you know he pleads mental illness to get out of it yeah but the film states outright they say undiagnosed bipolar which i'm not a therapist i don't know enough about that to say one way or the other if that's like an accurate yeah diagnosis um yeah so i can't really say anything on that yeah well, I think it's, like, interesting, though, just, like, reading, like, the book and stuff of, I do, I mean, again, I'm also not a therapist, so, uh, like, don't hold me to, like, understanding what, like, mental illness is, but I think the book does a really good job of just showing how Pat's brain works and, like, his, like, fixation and almost, like, borderline obsession with things, like, He's obsessed with Nikki. He's obsessed with fitness and he's obsessed with uh, reading the literature, which both of those also just tie back to Nikki. And like, it's interesting, like how, especially in like the first like half of the book, literally every other paragraph, he brings whatever is happening in the story back to Nikki and his fixation on ending um, a part time. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's like, I just feel like he did a good job of like portraying at least I'm assuming, like, portraying, like, a manic personality trait. Mm-hmm. And then... You know, another thing... Sorry, do oh, you no, have something? No, no, go ahead. Um, I was going to say another thing is there's this interesting moment in the film that we don't see in the book. Interesting moment where the dad is, like, arranging the remotes. Oh, yeah, While yeah, he's watching yeah. the game because he has, like, a superstition about the arrangement of the remotes for their, the team to win. Mm-hmm. And Pat says something, like, that's OCD, OCD behavior. Yeah. And his dad really quickly is like, no, 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 it's not OCD. I'm not superstitious, blah, blah, blah. He's very much quickly denying any relation to anything mental illness, which I think yeah. was another really good moment to show the attitudes of the people around Pat mm-hmm. towards mental illness. Yeah. Because I think the film balanced that very well with showing that like a lot of people around him, specifically in his family, will say things like crazy and, you know, like negative things about mental illness where a big point of the film is to be like to destigmatize those and to also just be like look other people you know everyone has their thing everyone has their shit yeah let's move on let's just deal with it and be better no for sure well also like behind the scene fact is that um uh david o russell's son has um a mental illness i don't know i don't remember what which exactly it is, if it was, like, by... I think maybe bipolar, but don't quote me on it. And he really, like, the cast has said in, like, interviews that, like, this movie was kind of, like, a love letter to his son and, like, wanted to bring, like, the normalization of, like, how, you know, mental illness is not something that we should be, like, fearful of. It's not something that we should, like, stigmatize. It's, like, there... And that so many people, whether they themselves even know it or not, have it. And, like, I was reading on, like, Reddit, like, there was, like, just, like, po and, like, reviews of, like, from audiences, and, like, a lot of people who do, like, suffer from mental illness have said, well, obviously not speaking for everyone, but, like, 
a lot of them have said like this movie helped them feel seen and helped them feel like more normalized because of it, which even though there had been like multiple, like I'm sure there was like countless films that had previously like talking about um, mental illness, but like none had ever really gone about it. I feel like in a way to really show that people who have mental illness can also be normal people. They can live normal lives. Like obviously with some bumps along the road, but like still like they have, like it's not just like you stick them in a hospital and they stay there forever. Right. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful though. I did not know that, especially about his son. And now, you know, I think that's part of the reason he probably did a really good job at this film. I mean, of course he's a really good director as well, but it helps when, you know, there's somebody close to you that you care about yeah. in that situation to be able to empathize greater and understand it more. Mm-hmm. But I also think just like showing um, that like Pat's dad had like possibly OCD, but even like Ronnie, like Ronnie seemed to have like a very like, which wasn't really in the book, but like Ronnie had like a lot of like, I think stress um, and like possibly like something going on there is mm-hmm. I remember Pat also said like some of his like mood swings were induced by like a lot of stress as well as his, like bipolar disorder. I think it just also is kind of like a way to show like mental illness is kind of like a spectrum and like there isn't just like probably everyone kind of falls onto it in some capacity whether it just be like minute things like the dad having like minor like OCD versus you know, Pat, who had, like, severe, like, bipolar disorder and, like, stress. Mm -hmm. Also, I think both with the book and the movie, it's very important that this story and this message is being told through a very classically masculine dude. Oh, for sure. Because, as we know, more often than not, it's, you know, men with mental illness who are greater stigmatized about it because society has this whole thing about like be a man toughen up like get over your emotions etc etc and i think i don't know if this is true at all but i think men tend to go to therapy less because of all that stigma that's out there Mm -hmm. in society so i love that this story is so good about talking about it bringing it to light especially with pat who is a very classically like you know he exercises a lot he's super built like he goes to football all the time he loves football he knows everything about that he's yeah a man's man so to speak mm-hmm. well i think it's like also just like piggybacking off of that like it's not even just like with like men are like least likely to go or less likely to go to therapy i think like men are just less likely to do like anything that's like better for our like health because it is kind of like <laughs> i mean I've had things in life where, like, I probably should have gone to the hospital to, like, get stitches or something, and I didn't because I was just like, oh, whatever. Like, it'll heal. It's fine. Stay safe, Joey. I'm going to get you some Band-Aids. I was like, I have a scar (laughs) in my knee knee that I think could have been prevented if I had just gone to the... (laughs) But I think, like, that is the thing. Like, men are, like, more likely to, like, die from, like, injuries and stuff because they're, like, more, like, whether it is, like, you know, like, conditioned from society to uh, be tough and you know be a man or if it's more of just like our own like stupidity of just like eh, i'm sure it's not that bad it's just a hemorrhage it's fine (laughs) it's chill so let's talk about the ending first of all nikki actually shows up to the dance competition oh yep which blew my mind i was like what we're we're supposed to never see her she's supposed (laughs) to never really exist to us yeah but she shows up to the dance competition which i also feel like I don't know. It didn't, it wasn't like terribly negative to the film. I don't think it like ruined that moment or anything, but I also don't think 
again, my personal opinion. So anybody listening to this, if you think differently, like that's totally fine, dude. Hate this movie, love this movie, whatever. We're just talking about it. But if you hate this movie, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get the fuck off our podcast. <laughs> um, damn it. What was I saying? Oh, so she shows up to the dance competition. And yeah. so in my personal opinion about that, I don't think it gave enough to the story in return. Like, I think we could have dealt without it. I disagree, though, because I feel like when they revealed it, they kind of like, or not revealed, but like severely hinted that it was Tiffany that was writing the letters. I feel like it added more stakes for Tiffany. Oh, that's true. Because now she has the woman who she's been impersonating for like a month. And then it's also like, well, what's Pat going to do? Is he going to... Well, I guess it's also like, what does Nikki want? Because... We don't really know. They don't really go into like what Nikki's been up to in the movie since besides that she filed a restraining order against Pat, mm-hmm. but which I guess is also something that I just like want to pivot to really quickly is like the difference of like how long Pat was in the uh, mental hospital is very yeah. different from the book to the movie, which plays into like Nikki. I think why it was it made more sense for Nikki to show up in the end for the movie versus the book. Is for the listeners out there. <laughs> in the movie, Pat was only in the mental hospital, I think, for like eight months. Versus in the book, which they kind of like play a, like with Pat's mind a little bit. But um, in the book, Pat was in the mental hospital for four years. Mm-hmm. Although he, although for a, a large portion of the book, he thinks that it was only for a couple of months. Although I didn't realize until rereading it that the dad like revealed it to Pat early on that he was in the mental hospital for four years and not a couple of months. Like it was like within like the first couple of chapters, but then Pat is just kind of like, I hear you, but you're lying and this might be a delusion. So I'm just going to (laughs) go on. And then everyone has to like tiptoe around the fact that uh, years had passed and not just a couple of months because like he realizes like the football stadium has been torn down and a new one's been erected. His brother got married uh, like all of these, mm-hmm. um, his friend Ronnie, um, had a, has a toddler, not a newborn baby, like he thought. <laughs> but yeah, so I think it made more sense that like Nikki would maybe show up since it was still like fresh versus like after four years, obviously like Nikki's moved on with her life. She's married. She has kids now with her new husband. Like mm-hmm. also in that whole climactic scene of the film in that moment at the end, so Tiffany runs away because she sees Pat is going to Nikki and she's like done with this. She's very upset. So she runs away. Um, Pat follows her and says, I love you. And there's this beautiful, like, you know, classic Hollywood romantic moment. They embrace. It's like, oh, yeah, he found <laughs> his silver lining kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very different in the book. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> he doesn't say I love you. I thought it was very beautiful, though, in the book. I can't, I'm going to paraphrase, but he says something, he, he goes to Tiffany, he explains the whole thing. He's like, he never says I love you or anything. The general consensus is he's like, I'm learning to get over Nikki and I'm realizing that I have feelings for you and you have feelings for me and I, I want to pursue that now. Yeah. It's kind of like the general consensus at the end of the book. Oh, wait, before we just move on from that, I fucking love the end where like it's like they're in like this field they're watching the clouds which pat loves and tiffany's like i fucking need you pat peoples i need you and then he's like and like she's crying and then he's like i think i need you too oh yeah that was beautiful (laughs) 
Oh. Yeah, they definitely made it more classically Hollywood in the movie. Yeah. But, you know, it works. It gives a similar sentiment. I do think that the book benefited more from that ending, but I think the movie benefited from its ending. Oh, for sure. I feel like if like the book, if the movie had done the, especially since they decided to like make the dance competition, like kind of like the climax, I feel like it would have been, it would have really just like thrown off the uh, momentum of the movie if they had like then revealed like, if they had Pat, like, figure it out and be really upset with Tiffany and then storm off and then get mugged and, like, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it made sense, especially since, like, they were trying to uh, kind of normalize, not, maybe, I don't know if normalize is the right word, but, you know, like, bring attention to audiences, like, how, like, people with, like, mental illness can, like, still lead, like, normal lives and fall in love and all this stuff. So I think that's, I feel like that maybe might have been an influence in giving it more of a traditional, like, rom-com ending mm-hmm. versus if they'd gone the book's route of, like, having a very dramatic and emotional ending. Very true. Very true. Anything else that you kind of want to talk about? Um, I guess, like, the only thing else I want to talk about is, like, even though it makes sense that they, like focused more on pat and tiffany and like the dad in the movie since they had robert de niro i do feel bad because this this movie had the movie had such a great cast and i feel bad that like so many of these people got like kind of shafted with the the edits because in the book like almost every character gets something to do like even like uh veronica and ronnie have like moments like they go to the beach where uh you first get like your hints that tiffany has feelings for pat when veronica brings up her therapist and she's like wow way to bring up my uh therapist in front of pat you fucking bitch and storms off <laughs> and then it was also like a like when uh pat's like playing with um their daughter in the uh water and then veronica and ronnie freak out at him and like it was kind of like a good way to show like how people it's kind of like the false like allyship you know where people are like oh yeah like i'm a friend for you like i understand and then but like it's only to an extent and then like when they mm-hmm. you do something that like makes them uncomfortable then they like freak out and they like them like they make them an other like oh you left our daughter alone with him how could you he's mentally ill and it's like no he's like he has his medication he has his stuff like he's a person mm-hmm. they were just swimming and you know this is so unnecessary, but I used to have like a little bit of a bias against Bradley Cooper. I think you know this. <laughs> I used to kind of feel like, I don't know what it was, but he gave, he just gave me the vibe that like I wouldn't want to be talking to him one-on-one. And I don't know why that is. I don't know Bradley Cooper personally. I think it might be just because I think that his roles were always like kind of like slimy in most of like his stuff beforehand. Like he was like, I remember he was like in the Hangover movies where I think he was like kind of, I don't really remember them too much. But I know he's, like, kind of, like, the douche of the movie. And then he was, like, uh, I remember he was in, like, that uh, He's Just Not That Into You movie where he was, like, cheating on his wife with, like, Scarlett Johansson. Like, I don't, I think his, like, I think he had, like, a reputation of, like, his characters and movies just not being that great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, it might have, like, pushed it onto him a little bit. You're right. He did very much get typecast as that for a lot of big projects. But this move, but Silver Linings really like brought him like into like A-list territory. And like, he was like, it like, I think it was like, this was for Silver Linings was to him what like Dallas Buyers Club was for Matthew McConaughey. Like it just completely <laughs> changed. Did his, you just uh, insinuate that Matthew McConaughey was nothing until Dallas Buyers Club? No, I'm saying like he was not, I don't think he was considered like that serious, like a serious actor. Like he was like the rom-com like surfer guy. 
And then like then he did that movie where he won an Oscar. That's fair. And now he's like considered like a serious actor. And he's in all these like the True Detective, um, that space movie <laughs> with Christopher Nolan. I don't remember what it was called, but like it changed his career. And then with um, Bradley Cooper, like after this, like he did a couple of collabs with um, David O. Russell. He did American Sniper, um, A Star Is Born. Like it really just changed like the direction of his career. Now he has like multiple Oscar nominations. When before this movie, he had none. True, he's he's crushing it. Mm-hmm. Kick ass, Bradley Cooper. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's kind of all that I sort of have about this. But I do want to wrap this up a little bit. Um, first of all, there's no, like we said earlier, there's no further adaptations in the works that we know of. And this seems kind of like a quick little, you know, there's only one book. It's not a series or anything. So if we do see anything in the future, it's just probably going to be a remake, you know, like 10 years down the line. Um, I hope they don't, but (laughs) we'll see. Uh, not because I don't love the story, but because I'm still in my heart deeply against remakes and sequels and stuff but it's who knows man i'm at this point in my life where now i'm questioning that like (laughs) maybe remakes are okay maybe sequels are fine i mean i think the only way i could ever like see someone justifying it is if they made a more since like what you said it was like a loose adaptation of the book if they actually just did a hardcore like Mm. adaptation of the book but even then like I feel like it's just like such a classic that you really don't really like I, and it's also I know some people like really don't like it when movies stray from like the source material but I feel like it really works in this situation because you can like thoroughly I think enjoy both in their like separate entities because there's like enough similarities that it doesn't feel like they're just using the name of the novel although it wasn't really I think that popular of a novel but it's also different enough to where you could feasibly enjoy the book and enjoy the movie separately what an astute observation (laughs) from my guest host joey bappert and before we send you off (laughs) i have a trivia question for you that's on what day of 2012 did the movie come out um are you talking well wait are you talking about like wide release or like it because i know it like premiered at like a festival so you're talking about like that Wide release. Wide release. Um, November 12th. Incorrect. No. It came out <laughs> on December 25th. It came out on Christmas. Well, that, about a week before the end of the world. Well, or wait, was that at the beginning of the year? I no, don't remember. It was like, no, it would have been like a week after because it was supposed to be like December 12th, I think, was supposed to be the end. Oh, okay. So but a week I, after the end of the world. But I do remember seeing it, though, in November, though. Because I remember it was, like, it, it had, a, like, a limited release. So I remember I was, like, in a very big J-Law phase. I was just, like, anything she was in, I was, like, let's go watch it. <laughs> True. Well, I got my information off of IMDb, so take it up with the big guys. Well, fuck you, IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's it for this episode. Thank you again, Joey. I appreciate you being here and... We will see you next time when we talk about The Hunger Games, another Jennifer Lawrence favorite. Can't wait. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for your time and your ears. And don't forget to tune into next week's episode of Flip the Script. Peace out. Peace out.